Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. Billy Graham once said that the next great move of God, he believed, would be among Christians in the marketplace. We believe that too. We want to be a part of it, and we want to help equip and inspire you to do the same. So please follow us on socials at Expert Ownership. If you haven't been to our website yet, check it out, expertownership.com. But we are excited about what God is going to speak through us to you today. Here we go. Good day. I'm here with David and Jason Beckham, and we are... (laughs) (laughs) Bend it like Beckham. (laughs) And uh, this is Larry Hubatka, your host of the Expert Ownership Podcast. And today we're going to talk about how to create the life you've always wanted at work, at home, and basically everywhere you want. Mm. There's a way that you can do this. Yeah. I know. Entrepreneurs, they want to know. They're listening. That's provocative. You've piqued their interest, and it is about creating culture. And this is like such a buzzy word right now because everybody's like, oh, yeah, culture, definitely. I should get a foosball table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what they think when they think culture. Yeah, like, get a Keurig. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm going to get a Keurig. I'm going to get a foosball table. Have scooters in the, off, in the right. office. That's right. And uh, all that stuff is amazing, but it is not actually what culture is, which we're going to get into in just a second. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you both a question, and you two can answer. It doesn't even have to be the same answer, even though you're twins. <laughs> Tell me about the most influential, or at least one of the most influential coaches, leaders, uh, teachers you've ever had, and we're going to back into this culture conversation, teach people today how to create the ones that they want for themselves. Jason, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to go first. His name is Ronnie Littleton. When Jason and I were in seventh grade in Dallas, Texas, we went to Garland Christian Academy. He was the football coach. So Jason and I, over the next two years, played football for Ronnie Littleton, and he demanded excellence. He demanded that the players respect the coaches, and if you're not five minutes early to practice, you're 10 minutes late, you know, that typical stuff. But I didn't see his leadership and the culture that he was creating in us until we were juniors in high school. What he did was he actually left the junior high and moved up to high school after we had graduated. It wasn't that he was just coming with us. It was just that his family was growing, and so he went up and became a high school coach. Well, I'll never forget our junior year in high school. Jason and I, we had been successful on the field, but off the field, we weren't so successful in terms of we were just, you know, we were breaking the rules in school. We were making fun of teachers. It was just class clown type stuff starting to rebel a little bit from our parents and my dad would confide in Ronnie like these boys are you know they're giving me fits and I'll never forget after our junior year in high school Ronnie came to me and Jason he brought us into his office he closed the door and he said boys you need to make a change and the school needs you to make a change and we're like what are you talking about he said this school is following your leadership and you guys don't even realize it and to prove to you how effective you can be as leaders, I want to issue you a challenge. And we're like, okay, what is it? So he knew already how to, how to go after guys like us. Love you, coach you challenge. You challenge. You don't just sit there and make an offer. You challenge. And so he said, I don't want either of you two to wear a hat to class anymore. Because we would wear a hat and we'd get in trouble. Never wear a hat to class anymore. Were hats allowed at the school? No. Okay, not at all, but you would still but wear them. I would roll out of my truck to class with my hat, taking my hat off as I'm walking into class. He's a rebel, Jason. Totally. Like bending it just I never a had little. that problem. Hey, bend it like Beckham. Bend it well, like Beckham. So he said, and the second thing I want you to do, because we wore uniforms, it was pretty lax. Anyway, he said, I want the two of you 
to iron your pants and your shirt and wear a tie to class every single day. And when he said that, it was like, I mean, it was he could have just punched me right in the face. How old were you again? 17. Okay, that's a lot for a 17-year-old. That's a big ask. But he yeah. said, if the two of you will do this, you will not only change your life, but you'll change everything here at the school. Did you believe him at the time? No, I didn't know whether to believe him or not, but I did trust him. And I knew he had our best interest at heart. He was the guy that petitioned Sports Illustrated faces in the crowds to get me and Jason in the magazine. And sure enough, they came and put us in the magazine of Sports Illustrated. So now Jason and I are featured in a magazine that's now a collector's item because Ken Griffey Jr. was on the cover. The kid? His, his first cover. It was his first cover called The Natural, and Jason and I were on it. We were in it, which was really exciting. So I mean, he loved us. He was with us, but he called us out and gave us this challenge. So Jason and I went home. We told our mom about it. So mom, of course, jumps on board and says, I'm going to get you new uniforms, and I'm going to show you how to iron your stuff. And we'll get you some ties. First time I've never known how to iron. Yeah. So fast forward now, a year later, Jason and I, every single day that senior year, every single day. I think we took off on Fridays. No, we didn't. Well, maybe we took off with the tie, but every, every, on Fridays, we didn't wear a tie. Ronnie let us do that. But we, every single day, we, we had our stuff ironed and we would, we got it down to where we would get it done at the dry cleaners and then we would freshen it up halfway through the week. Smart. Okay. So by the time we were done, 60% of the dudes in school were doing exactly what we were doing. And the headmaster, whose name was Dr. John McCart, later on, Jason and I, they retired our jerseys and they had this little ceremony. We spoke at graduation like 20 years later. And Dr. John McCart said, in all my years, and he had been at the school some 40 years, he said, in all my years, I have never seen the culture of our school change like I did when the Benham brothers started ironing their uniforms the and Beckham wearing brothers. Beckham, Beckham brothers, that's right. And, and it changed for the better. There was respect. There was, and it's not that Jason and I were doing any of this. It was just simply an adjustment to our rhythm, which yielded incredible dividends for the entire school. It was just pretty awesome. I'll never forget that as long as I live. This is this is a perfect example we're going to come back to in just a second. So, Jason, same question. Yeah. Influential teacher, coach, supervisor. Do you want me to go as long as David just did? Well, I mean, that was pretty long. It, so was, you can it go, was long. It was good. It you know, was good. That's why I didn't cut him off because we love Ronnie, of which we now call Scrawny, because he, he, was, <laughs> he was a big old boy for a little bit, but then he went on body for life and lost all this weight. And he so, kept it off. He turned into Scrawny. So, coach Scrawny. Yes. I would say, honestly, I'm not going to go the teacher, coach, mentor route. I'm going to go my mom. Wow. The reason why is mom did a great job of creating a very relaxing, restful environment in our house. Even though our house was small, we had 1,100 square feet. How many people? Five kids. Five kids. Now, my sister, my older sister was out of the house for, you know, we probably all, only seven of us for a year, but then she was out of the house, but it was six of us for a long time. And she just had a great way of creating an environment, low level lighting, you know, not top level lighting, soft music, candles. Always had music going? No, not, not always. always had music, when but definitely, did, especially around the holidays. I mean, it was the Kenny G, it was the, the but we had, but, but, but here's where we, she would play it from. We had one of those massive, almost like armoire looking stereos. I love that. You know, yeah. the big yeah, it's like pieces of furniture. Sideboard. Yes. It's like a hutch. And... It was an eight track. And it had an eight track on the inside. So we had Johnny Mathis Christmas. We had the Chipmunks and we'd play that and it would just be softly playing in the house. And so now fast forward, but you know, I say fast forward because 
in my house, it's the same thing. It's low level lighting. Now I've got it all on automatic. It's yes. always soft music. It's like the house is clean. It's it's got to be a place of rest, right? In spite of the fact that there's going to be chaos. Yes, there's always chaos around dinner. I mean, it's just stuff's flying. You, you everywhere. like it too, though. It's part of what makes yeah, you no. feel like your family's yeah. alive. Yeah. It yes. is. Yeah. It is for sure. But it is odd because Christmas was my mom's favorite time of year, and obviously Christmas has passed. But it always reminds me. My mom had vanilla candles going everywhere. And so now we have vanilla candles. I smell that vanilla candle, and it puts me right back at 621 Dawn Drive when I'm 12 years old listening to the chipmunks softly playing. And, and I see those little chocolate. And, and wanting so bad to I get up those, and watch Monday Night Football with Dad. But I see those it. little chocolate bells. You know, the, the they were in the little wrappers. They look like Hershey Kisses, but they're in, like, Christmas bells, and they're all sitting in this jar my mom always had, and I'm smelling this vanilla candle thinking about eating those. But when I do that now, it goes back to the culture that my mom created in our home. And now, honestly, we, we talk a lot about corporate culture, but if you don't have a home culture that's very restful, peaceful, and relaxing, it's going to harm you in your business. Yes. You've got to find that place where you can rejuvenate, and now my house is that. No, that's so true. I think people compartmentalize so much of their lives, and they assume, like, well, that's home. I'll just take care of stuff at the office or at work. And I'm like, no, yeah. you're one person. Yeah. That's right. What you are there is what you are here. Who you are there is who you are here. Okay, so the example was really good. Both of you gave an example that's going to play perfectly into this conversation because I think when most people talk about culture, one, they don't really know what it is, right? We joked about foosball yeah. tables and, and... Keurig. I and, said Keurig. And Keurig. Don't forget that. That's right. So if we were going to define culture, let's just call it a way of life. You know, I wrote a book on this years ago and what yeah. I... Uh, Can I tell them the name of your book? Sure. You Little Jerk. You Little by Jerk. By Larry Hubatka. That's right. you got to go get it. Get it on Amazon. It's phenomenal. I've read it, and it is absolutely incredible. So I wrote this because, one, I wanted a book that was on the topic, but it didn't exist in a format that I wanted to read because there was a lot of stuff about kind of like corporate culture, and it was like a little too heady for me. It was a little too cerebral, and so I just wrote something. I said, there's got to be a way that feels more practical to us, and if you define culture, just say it's a way of life. And so if you kind of zoom out a little bit, we're always creating one, whether yeah. it's positive, it's yeah. negative, it doesn't really matter, but we're always creating one. So, you know, my thesis for this book was, well, why don't you just create the one that you want? Mm. I mean, at least give it a shot. Let's try. Yeah. So when we talk about a way of life, here's how we decided the formula for creating culture would work. Create consistent experiences, this three-part formula, create consistent experiences that reinforce behaviors, beliefs, and values, and tie it to emotion or connect it to emotion. So the example that both of you gave, Coach Ronnie, your mom, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it because the glue here, anytime people are talking about creating culture, even though it does take some time, right? The first first part of this formula is create consistent experiences, which implies there's a little bit of time required here. You can't just have a one-off. Yeah. One-off is like a fun event. Consistent yeah. experiences is more like, okay, we're working towards a culture. So your mom, for example, Jason, I guess both of your moms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both of your moms. When she says there's music playing, there's a candle lit, there is a conversation that we're going to have. She's setting a little bit of a tone here, but it's not just because she's doing it. It's because the emotion attached to it. So the emotion of piece of chocolate, yeah. of good music when you walk into the room, the lighting, it creates something in you. Yeah, because yeah. it's tied to one of your five senses. That's exactly right. And I think when you think about Coach Ronnie, Coach Ronnie challenging you as young 17-year-old men to step up. Well, there's something that happens in you, whether it activates something and the dopamine starts flowing or you're terrified. Yeah. Either way, the emotion of having a coach who constantly speaks into your life and says, I'm not going to let you settle. You knew that every time you were around Coach Ronnie, there was always a chance he was going to keep you on your toes because he was going to either tell you, you're running more, I need you to do this, here's a challenge, here's something I'm going to put in front of you. So Coach Ronnie created this culture 
because partially he used the emotion that came from the feelings that he would help generate in you when he challenged you to do these things to help it stick. And in fact, if you go and you study this, this is actually really interesting. If you go look at the old Harvard study, it's called the flashbulb study. Mm. It talks about how emotions help things stick. And I mean, use, uh, I think the greatest example, at least for our generation, is usually 9-11. Yeah. Like if I said, hey guys, yep. where were you? When you heard the news about 9-11, yeah. do you yeah. know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. I, I know exactly where I was. I was standing in the living room of my little 900-square-foot house, Portland, Oregon. Our friend had just come over. We hadn't even heard the news yet. We just had a newborn eight days earlier, and so we were you know, just kind of oblivious. We were, like, we were in survival mode, our first yeah. child. She knocks on the door and says, did you hear the news? And we flipped the news on. I remember everything like yep. in detail yeah, yeah. for the like, next like, several hours. So this flashbulb study kind of proved the power or what I would call like the stickiness that emotion brings in to our lives. I think it's part of God's design for us. The emotion, mm. usually the negative is a little stickier than yeah, the positive. unfortunately. But they both stick. And so culture is oftentimes inadvertently created because people forget that the emotion, so think of like a tyrannical leader or something like that. You've got a bad boss. Mm. Well, that bad boss generates something in you, an emotion that makes this culture stick on a daily basis. And usually it's something like fear or it's yeah. something like shame or yeah. humiliation. You're like, my gosh, I don't know if I like this. Well, you don't have to like the culture. You're still creating one, mm. which is why I'm saying we can yeah. actually take some control of this and which, create which we, we would say, We would say, and I tell my kids this, are you a thermostat or a thermostat? Yes. Do you simply reflect the culture or do you actually change it? That's exactly right. Hey, can I give you the quick five to one rule? Yes, I love okay, it. Okay, so we're, we're all kingdom business guys. We, you know, we're all entrepreneurs and we want to create positive culture in our homes and in our businesses, right? But there are times where you do something stupid or you yes. say something stupid or something happened and it's negative. In order to overcome a negative emotion in order to overcome something that's negative that happened so that it doesn't take you down a path where your culture now changes negatively, you have to have a five to one ratio where now you need five positive interactions to overcome that one negative. So if you had to, like, I had to get on to my daughter for something or whatever, and it's not that that's negative, but it is something that might hurt her for or a little bit. Or she might perceive it as negative. Yeah, that's right. I need five positive on top of that, you know, as a parent. The same is true in your business, if you lashed out at an employee or if you, I mean, God forbid you do that, but if something happened that's negative, then you as the entrepreneur, as the business owners, the wealth generator are going to need to do something proactively to get to that five to one so that your culture levels back out to good culture and doesn't start to gravitate toward that negative. That's exactly right. And I think it's good for people to remember that it's seasonal, that your culture can shift. I mean, you're going to establish one, you're going to create an atmosphere in your home, in your office, in your workplace, on your teams. But your culture does shift over time because sometimes people get a little loose or frankly, they get a little tired and they start feeling like, I'm just not being as deliberate and intentional as I should be about creating the culture that I want. So typically when I do this exercise with like a corporate client or a business owner, we start and we say, what kind of culture do you want to create? And they sit there and they come up with the list. I say, tell me about that. Why do you want, and let's say the example would be, I want better communication here, or I want people to be more outspoken or more proactive or more friendly. I said, okay, well, let's back into it. Don't forget the formula is consistent experiences that reinforce behaviors, beliefs, and values. And then we connect that to emotion. So what are you doing? You want people to be more communicative. Tell me a little bit about your work culture. And they say, well, I mean, we don't really have team meetings, so where, where do you want the communication to happen? Why? Well, I, I just want them to do it. Well, you you're the leader. Meetings. That's right. You create it. Now, 
The flip side of this is we don't want to be in meetings all day long, but make the meetings enjoyable. Make yeah. them something that people want to be a part of. And then when they come to Give meetings, them food. exactly. That's, Give them a reason to come. Tying it to emotion is about tying it to the five senses. Yes. So tap into one of those five senses. That's exactly right. And if you were in a meeting and you said something and I affirmed you publicly in front of everybody else. So let's say we're having a conversation about how our business was doing for the last month. And Jason said, well, I just wanted to share an idea. Our team was working on this project and it turned out well. And I said, Jason, I love that idea. Did everybody hear what Jason just said? That 10-second yeah. little aside yeah. does something in Jason, releases enough dopamine where all of a sudden he's feeling like, okay, I like meetings and I like when I contribute. Yeah, that's good. Now, the consistent experiences part is, will I as the leader do that consistently so the culture of our conversations actually begins to shift? Yeah. And obviously, every group, every team, every organization does this a little differently and it takes different amounts of time. But if we can start to implement some of these practices, you'll start to see the shift in your culture. Yeah. And people don't believe this because they feel like, oh, it takes so long. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a long time to create yeah. a good culture. Yeah, well, that's right. And two, you know, I'd really look into when you said that being able to point out something that someone said that's good and saying, hey, everybody stop. Did you hear what he just said? That was really good. And let's just think about that for 10, yes. 15 seconds or whatever. We do that in our families as well, which is definitely necessary for all of us to do. But what we're doing there is, honestly, it's prophetic. Yes. And what I mean by that is you're speaking life into that person, that situation. That, that's what the prophetic does, is it builds up the body of Christ. It's like, I'm not here to predict your future. I'm here to tell you that your future is very bright when you do what you just said that we should do. You yes. know, like when yeah. you line it up with that. Even Jesus says he's making all things new. Yes. So we're speaking life into the areas that might be dry and desolate or maybe even dead or dormant. That's right. And I think you can go look at Jesus's life. And obviously we don't have a lot of specific culture examples from the scriptures. There's nothing that says yeah. culture is, but you can look at his life and see if this truly is about creating consistent experiences, reinforcing behaviors, beliefs, and values, and then connecting that to emotion whether it was how he called his original disciples. I mean, he set a culture very quickly and said, I'm choosing people who generally don't seem equipped. They mm -hmm. feel ill-prepared. And he said, I'm okay with that. But it gave people hope yeah. because people thought, oh my gosh, yeah. he can use me. Crowds yeah. rallied around him because they started to think, wow. well, he heals people. He's like us. Yeah, he's like us and he can do something. People don't chase you down trying to grab the hem of your robe yeah. unless they believe that, I think he might be able to do something because the emotion that was generated, which it was very real, but there was still an emotion there that people thought, if I can just be near him. He created a culture, and I mean, the theology behind this people might flip out on because they're like, really? We're going to turn this into a, you know, Jesus you know, um, yeah, sure. healing the bleeding woman as a, as a culture lesson? Yeah, because mm -hmm. you create one regardless of whether or not you're trying to do it intentionally or not, but you can do it intentionally if you know how to. Yeah. So it's really interesting as we talk to a lot of business owners, you know, we hear them say things like, you know, give me a couple examples of things you've heard from business owners that you know or entrepreneurs that you know when you say, hey, I hear you saying that things need to change, but, you know, what do you want to see happening that's not currently happening? What are some of the things that you hear people saying? Well, I mean, they want their people to be able to, uh, number one, not be toxic. You hear about the toxic environment, you know, and, and, and toxicity comes from gossip. It comes from uh, insults. It comes from these other things. And so, obviously, everybody is a, they're their own individual. And so, they bring their own individual experience, yes. their worldview, and sometimes, quite often, their baggage to work. You know, whether you, if you don't have employees or anything, it's your vendors and your contractors. But we come in and we eliminate that toxicity with the culture that we bring from the inside. Certainly, toxicity, I would say, would be one of the most important things that business owners bring to us. Hey, and can I just pivot a direction real quick? Yeah. Because I think that when we're looking at building good corporate culture, 
in our businesses and then allowing that culture to also be something that we define for our own families in today's cultural yes. context it's our responsibility to create thriving cultures at work and at home because of the decaying culture that we have going on right yes, now. Yes, that's right. Like we need that more than ever. What, like, what do you think Daniel's home life was like? Right. What do you think his house was like or his office? Do you think it was all disheveled or whatever? I mean, what do you think life was like for, you know, even thinking about Gideon who led the Israelites against the Midianites? You know, I mean, there has to be this place of respite. There has to be this place of safety. You know, Google did this big study. They spent millions of dollars trying to figure out what makes the best teams. And so they did the study and they discovered that the number one quality of the highest producing teams at Google was there was an environment or a culture around where people could be who it is that they are and they could give their ideas without fear of judgment. So that's a culture. Yes. So there were some teams at Google that had that and some that didn't have that. And they realized the ones that did have that actually perform better. So then we create a culture in our family. We create a culture in our business where everybody can feel free to be who they are. Like we're not trying to shame them for not being us, right? And and then when they do present ideas, when they do speak, we're all embracing them, not nitpicking, not finding the negative before we find the positive. Remember that five to one, that's always going to be important. But making sure that we have really good culture because we're in the midst of a decaying culture and God needs us as salt to go out there and stop that decay. But we do that by having good culture ourselves. That's exactly right. By the way, that study is available online. You can go search around for it. I think search uh, psychological safety or something like that. Yeah, that's Google, it. Psychological safety. That's Google it. culture study and you'll figure it out. All right, let's end with this. Own it or loan it for those of you who are new and don't follow the podcast regularly. This is the segment where I throw something out and David and Jason decide, yeah, I would own that. I take that. I like that. That's good. Or loan it. I want nothing to do with that. Borrow it and never give it back. Can we do dentures? <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> own it or loan it. Dentures. Dentures. You know, it depends on if my teeth are really hurting and how old I am, but I might. What do you mean, I teeth? Might, if you're getting dentures, it. if you have no teeth, you moron. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If my teeth are bothering me, then I'm like, yank them all out and give me some Yank dentures. your teeth out. Who does that? I'm not that talking feels... about doing it as a 46-year-old moron. I'm talking about doing it as a 96-year-old. Oh. Is that common? What would you do? Dumb. Just don't go with what Jason said. This is stupid. <laughs> this is the dumbest own it or loan it I've So long heard. as you got good poly grip. <laughs> Okay. If you have no teeth, of course, own it. Correct. But if you're saying, do I want dentures, loan it. I am kind of curious, is this a common practice that people who have teeth ask for their teeth to be extracted so they no, get dentures. I've never, I've never heard, heard that's of this. The, that's the most ridiculous I'm saying thing. if you got rotten teeth. Well, who, how would you like, get rotten how teeth How would they last till 96? Yeah. How, the, the, okay. Jason is this an is, absolute I'm so buffoon. sorry. I'm mad at you guys. I'm sorry. Well, let me just... Okay, so we obviously, <laughs> we're going to loan that one, but let me just ask you one quick question to end. Yes. Would you rather have fish eyes or hot dog fingers? Hot dog fingers. Yeah. Because you can always wear gloves, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's a no-brainer. Wear mittens. It's a no-brainer. Well, hopefully, this is giving you a nice snapshot of what this podcast is all about. Hope you'll rate, review, maybe even subscribe to this. Tune in every single week. We've got new episodes dropping every Tuesday, and we'll wrap up with this. Don't forget, impact over income. It's okay to have both. Just get that order right. See you next time. 